Good morning, church. Good morning. My name is Kendrick. I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary Church. And if you didn't know this, it is Christmas time. Right? It is Christmas time. This is by far uh, one of my favorite times of the year, without question. And that's really strange for me to say, and even my family looks at me like I'm weird, because the truth is, I hate the cold. Like, absolutely hate the cold. There's a reason I'm in California. One of my favorite Christmases ever was sitting at La Jolla Beach, drawing like Hollies and Merry Christmas signs, and sending, sending them to my brother who was in 30 inches of snow in Boston. Right? I was like, this is Christmas. Right? Not a big, man, I have never, ever once dreamed of a white Christmas. Right? I have been in white Christmases, and I've dreamed of sunny Christmases, never dreamed of a white Christmas. It's also strange because during this time of year is when we have all the parties and festivities and just last week we're going to band concerts with lots of people with the kids in school. We're going to parties all the week. There's like an event every night of the week. Man, that's not me. I took a class a couple months ago with a whole bunch of pastors and the very first thing we had to do was take a personality test. I think there was 28 of us in that class. There was one person out of all those people that tested to be an introvert. Guess who it was? <laughs> it was this guy, right? So when you're sitting at church, you got all those people in your face. I love those people, but I love them more when they are online. Like, I was like, oh, I love this online class, right? I'm, my teacher said, what was your favorite part about this class? I said that it was online, that it was online, right? Out of the five love languages, the first time I took that test is during marriage counseling. So over 20 years ago, I scored, number five, like my least thing was receiving gifts. That was my least love language. They say you need to take that test because those change. And they, it is true, as I've taken it several times and one and two change or one and three change, five never changed in 20 years. The good news about that for me and the bad news for my kids is Melissa scores the same. So we, uh, we do have that in common. So if I'm being really honest, I don't check a lot of the Christmas fun boxes. But if I'm going to be honest with you and be truthful with you, I talk to a lot of you. A lot of you are standing with me in the same corner at those Christmas parties, right? Thinking, oh boy, like getting nervous, getting scared, getting uncomfortable. There's somebody shaking their head right there. I didn't mean to call you out because you're an introvert. Sorry, my fault. Shouldn't do that, right? But here's the thing, like my heart is still filled with joy. And as I talk with those people, their hearts are filled with joy. And we're trying to put a, our finger on it. Like, why do we have this joy? Why are we so excited? These things, they don't really fill us with joy. I even tried to trick myself yesterday. I got super festive, surprised my wife beyond belief. I went out and hung Christmas tree lights, thinking, yeah, this will, this will do it. Nope, nope. It's still in my brain, I'm thinking, oh, man, when can I take these down? Like, I'm going to have to take these down soon. Right, But we, we tried, and so I'm trying to find that joy, and I, I know there's a lot of people that are in that same boat. We're looking at some of these things and saying, man, that's, that's not the, the joy that's in my heart. These are not helping. These are not the things that make the heart jump out of my chest. And some things, we, sometimes we can't put our finger on it. We can't say, what is that that's doing it? So for my Christmas present to you this morning, 
I'm going to help you name that joy. I'm going to help you put your finger on that joy. Because in the past, I've had a hard time putting my finger on that joy around Christmas. And as I was reading through Luke, man, it hit me. And I said, man, there is the joy. That is the joy that I'm talking about. And even right now, as I'm talking to you, some of you are thinking, like, what joy are you talking about? You know, I love the parties, and I love the gifts, and I love the lights, and I love the cold nights snuggled up with a blanket next to a burning fire. I like that stuff, but it doesn't bring me the joy that you're talking about. It doesn't bring me the the joy of jumping out of my heart. Well, guess what? I'm going to help you, too, because this morning, I'm going to tell you where to find that joy. I'm going to tell you where that joy comes from, so go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. One of the things that happened this morning, I love this, is during our worship, we read a verse from chapter one. We read 39 through 45. And in that passage, there is a clear sense of joy. Right? There is a huge, this is the type of joy that I'm talking about. We have these people that are just gathered around. We got John the Baptist at the time, John the embryo, John the little baby still in the, the mother's womb, and he's doing leaps of joy, flipping inside his mother's womb. And as we read that, even as John is doing that, we still see that his mom Elizabeth is filled with joy, right? She is still happy. I have never had a baby growing inside of me. I know there were happy times, like the first and second and third time that baby kicked. You're like, oh, this is so exciting. But then there becomes a time like, enough already, right? Let's just stop this until we're done. And here, John is doing leaps, and Elizabeth is She's overflowing with joy. She's got joy coming out of her heart, right? Her heart is filled. She's in this state of worship and praising, and Scripture says that she was filled with the Spirit. And it's in this text that we see the reason for that joy. And if you look in verse 42 that the the worship team read earlier, Mary, Elizabeth says to Mary, blessed are you among women, And generally when we hear the the term blessing, it has this general connotation. It means like happiness or well-being or it means this joy in your life. But there's a little nuance when we see blessing in this passage. Um, It's used once in verse 42 and then we see it, uh, another word that's translated blessing in in verse 45. And in verse 42, the word that is used for blessing is emphasizing the blessing that is given to you by God. It's this joy. It's this fulfillment that God has given to you. It's signifying God's gracious work. So Elizabeth is telling Mary, blessed are you for what God is doing in your life. Blessed is the baby that is in your womb because of what God is doing, because of God's grace. You are blessed by God's grace. But if we go a little bit further into verse 45, Elizabeth says this to Mary, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And a different word was used here, a different word was said here, but it was translated, uh, in the Greek word, it was translated to blessing, but there's a different emphasis on this. Right, this emphasis signifies that Mary's joy and her well-being, her blessing, was tied to her faith, was tied to what she did. Don't, Don't miss what just happened here, right? Mary's joy, her fulfillment, the fulfillment which is in that room was tied to something they believed. It was tied to their faith. And I think it is that belief that it also filled Elizabeth and with her with the, filled her with the Spirit. 
It's what led her to praise and anticipation of the coming baby, and anticipation of the Messiah that was coming. It was this same belief, it was this same um, faith that caused John to leap in the womb. Caused him to, the sense there is that he leaped with joy. He had joyous leaps. And in the following verses, we see Mary express her joy in a song of praise. And we're going to talk about that on Christmas Eve. So you have to come back Friday at 5 o'clock and we'll talk a little bit about Mary's joy. Okay, so that's a Christmas Eve. That is not a shameless plug. That is a real plug right here. <laughs> Friday night, 5 o'clock. We're going to be talking about the joy in Mary. But we'll talk about that later. This morning I want us to focus on the belief. I want us to focus on the faith that fills our heart with joy. This time of year as we anticipate the celebration of the coming of our Savior. Elizabeth tells us that joy was found in believing the word that was given by the Lord. That joy was found by believing the word that was given by the Lord. Well, what is that word? Right? That's what we should be asking. What is, is that word? Well, we're going to read that passage today. So if you guys just go back a little bit into verse 28. If you read verse 28, and this is where the birth of Jesus is foretold. This is where Mary finds out that she's pregnant. And the angel Gabriel, he comes to Mary. And he says this. And I made a mistake. I highlighted it in red, and I can't read it out of my Bible. I, did, I tried it with glasses and everything. I want to read it from my screen. I apologize. But this is uh, in Luke 1, uh, beginning in verse 28. And Gabriel said this to Mary. He said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end excuse me and as we read this passage we see in this passage there are three promises that gabriel that the angel gabriel makes about the messiah and i believe it is these faith and promises that not only filled elizabeth right that that not only filled john and mary with joy but continue to fill all who believe them, all who believe these promises with joy. So instead of making you wait one by one, I'm just going to tell you these three promises that Gabriel, that he, he promised that fill us with joy. And here they are. If we believe them, and we're going to look at these promises more in detail, but these three promises are, is first that Jesus came to save us, that Jesus can save us, and that Jesus continues to save So let's just start looking at these one by one. We're going to start with the the first one, that Jesus came to save us, that we have joy, right, when we have faith, right, when we know, when we believe that Jesus came to save us. If you go in verse 31, it says, the angel of the Lord said to her, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Mary was told you will call him Jesus. This is a Big, big deal. Today, parents more often seem to choose names based on what is popular or what is clever or what sounds good. 
I didn't know how important it was for the middle name to sound good until I had my first son, Isaac, and I could hear Melissa over and over and over say, Isaac John, no, I don't like that. Isaac England, no, I don't like that. Isaac Kendrick, no, that doesn't sound. I'm like, what are we doing? Right? We're not in the South. We don't say middle names. Just give them a middle name. Let's move on. But she kept going through all the names. And then she's like, Isaac Philip. And we're like, that's it. Right? That sounded good. And then there's just some parents, or should I say kids, that are just named out of laziness or, or maybe on accident. I heard of someone who named their child Apsity because you spell it A-B-C-D-E. Well, the child will learn how to spell their name pretty quick. Right? There were some other people that named their kids Twinna and Twimba because when they had the babies, the nurse or doctor, I don't know how it's done, they labeled Twin A on one and Twin B on the other. And they thought, oh, that's our kids' names. Twin uh, Twimba. That's terrible. Hey, don't say that. Somebody has a name Twimba. It's a beautiful name if you're listening. We love it. <laughs> Twinna, you got a good name too. Jesus loves you. Right? <laughs> but see, Hebrews in the first century, they took naming their kids just a little bit more serious than maybe we are used to. Right? The ancient Jews, they would wait until the eighth day to name their child. The eighth day, right? This permitted some time to observe something of the nature of the child and of his or her uh, qualities. I'm going to tell you right now, if I didn't have kids, I'd say in eight days, that kid doesn't do anything but eat, poop, and sleep. Like that, I would say, how does that help? But looking back, there are things about my kids. I said, I could have told you that on day three, right? That now when I, I look back, I can connect that. But that time was even more important. Right, if, if the child was not going to be named after a relative. They really wanted to use something that reflected who that kid was going to be. And here we see that the angel instructs, here in this passage, Mary, but in Matthew, instructs Joseph that his name will be Jesus. You will name this child Jesus. And you ask, but, but why Jesus? Right, it's a question that I often get. And <coughs> Excuse me. And the question is, is, it's actually in Scripture. If you go to Matthew one twenty one, the angel tells Joseph, you will name him Jesus. My guess is, is Joseph like, why? And the angel answers him. He says, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And in Hebrew, the name Jesus is Yeshua, and you've probably heard that before, Yeshua. And it means that Yahweh is salvation. It means that God saves So the angel said, you are going to name your kid Jesus. This means God saves. This is who he is. This is why he came. You will name him Jesus. And then the other question that comes up is, but the prophets told of other names for Christ. Right throughout the Old Testament, we've seen these other names for Christ. You shall call him things, different names. And for example, in, in the book of Isaiah alone, we see several different names. Right, in Isaiah we read, Behold, a virgin, virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. It's a Christmas passage. We're not sure what it means, but we say, hey, Emmanuel, it's a Christmas term, so we say that's the name of Jesus. And later in Isaiah, he gives multiple names, uh, but none of them are Jesus. He says we shall call him Wonderful Counselor. He says we shall call him God the Mighty. He says we shall call him Prince of Peace. And so the question still remains, why did Gabriel say we shall call him Jesus? Why was that the name that we were to call him? Why was that the name that he was to be known by? That's a great question. 
But if we look at it and we look at these names and we see what these names are and we put them together, we see that all of those names contribute to the saving aspect of who Jesus is, to the saving aspect and the saving work that Jesus provides in our lives when Jesus comes to save us. We often hear when Jesus comes to save us that we are regenerated, that we are a new creature. And from the name Emmanuel, which means God with, with us, right? it's the designation of that cause of salvation, which is the union of Christ with us. It's where Christ comes into our lives and he replaces that heart of stone with a heart of flesh. Right? We become a new creation in him. Paul refers to it in Romans as a circumcision of the heart. We are a new person. Our lives are transformed and we are regenerated. We are a new creation. Emmanuel, God with us. It's God in us that makes us a new creation. It's God in us that makes us new. It's part of being saved. Wonderful counselor. When we look at the name wonderful counselor, this leads us to repentance. Right, the term repentance is we stop doing what we want to do and we follow Jesus. Right, we see Jesus as a wise counselor. We see God as a wise counselor. When we are saved, we turn from our ways and we turn towards Jesus. We repent because he is a wise counselor. Because his ways are higher than our ways. We, his, his, we lean not on our own understanding, but we lean on him. In all of our ways, we acknowledge him. Right, we seek him, we follow him, and that's what it means to repent. That we turn from ourselves and we follow the wise counsel. That's part of salvation. And Prince of Peace. Right? It's our reassurance of our faith. Children of God enjoy perfect peace, a, a peace that surpasses all understanding. Right? When we place our faith in him, we don't have to worry about anything. We don't have to worry about anybody snatching us from his hand. We don't have to wonder if we're saved or not. Man, he's the prince of peace and he has come and he restored us. He restored our relationships and most importantly, he restored our relationship with him and nobody can break that. Right? There is peace in a believer's life knowing that we are Jesus's now and forever. Right? That makes him the prince of peace. Man, it is through Jesus that we are restored. It is through Jesus that we get a new life. It is through Jesus that we find true joy. It is through Jesus that we are saved. Jesus sums up all of those names. Right? Jesus saves. God saves. Jesus. So just say God saves. And we mean all of those things. We mean the regeneration of ourselves. We mean the repentance of ourselves. We mean the reassurance of our salvation. It's all tied up into one name, Jesus. And Jesus came to save. God saves. And when we have faith in God's promise that Jesus came to save, man, we experience joy. We've got joy in our lives that nobody can touch when we know that Jesus came to save. And the second promise that we're going to look at is that we have joy when we have faith. Jesus can save us. I remember one time when I was in the Marines, we had to simulate jumping off of a sinking ship. It was like a 10-meter platform. You got your, all your uniform and all your gear on, and you jump off. And if you can swim, you float there for a few minutes, and then you swim to one side and you get out. If you can't swim, you struggle for a long time. They put a pole, you grab it, and they tell you to go to the other side. 
So as we're standing there watching, this one guy jumps into the water and starts screaming, help me, help me, I can't swim, help me. And he starts freaking out, and this one guy runs and jumps in the water, and the guy that was screaming looks over at him and says, we're all going to die, we're going to die. Right, as that guy is freaking out in the water, the first guy that jumped in, it didn't take him long to realize that that guy jumped from the wrong side. He came from the side, didn't know how to swim. Right, he was like, that guy can't help me. That guy can't save me. It becomes very clear to us who we can put our faith in to help us and who we cannot. Right? We, we look around and we see things that, that if we put our faith in things that are not able to save us, we don't find joy. We find hopelessness. Right? We find helplessness. We, we often look and we look at each other and say, oh, you can't save me. There's a, there's a lot of people in my life that I really, really love and I think really, really, really high of them. My wife is probably the number one person. And I look at her and I man, I love you. There's a lot of things you can do, but you cannot save me. Right? If I am dependent on you to save me, I'm going to die. Right? And I just know that. We quickly realize those things. But in verse 35... Gabriel promises us that God can save us, that Jesus can save us. He says this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And when we look at this, we say that we know that Jesus' holiness derives from him being conceived by the Holy Spirit. Jesus would be the son of God in a way that nobody else will, has, or will ever be able to, com- to, to say that they were, to be able to claim it was Jesus that was going to be the son of God. He was going to be fully God. But it's also Jesus being born of a woman and conceived by a Holy Spirit that he was fully human and he was fully God. And Jesus had to be fully human because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which has sinned should pay for its sin. Mankind needs to suffer the penalty for their sins. So guess what? Jesus became man. Jesus became fully man. And so Jesus as a man could not only identify with us, and we love that, We love having a God that can identify with us. We love having a God that can sympathize with us. Right, when we are weak, there's something about looking to a God and knowing he understands. But he wasn't only able to sympathize with us, he was able to suffer for us in our place. The author of Hebrews, he he tells us this. I'm gonna read this in Hebrews 2, beginning in verse 14. He writes this. Since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect." so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those 
who are being tempted. As fully human, Jesus was able to suffer for us and sympathize with us. However, Jesus' conception in the womb of the Virgin Mary underscores the fact that he was God, that he was fully God, that he was conceived in a miraculous way. It means that Jesus was God. And Isaiah makes clear that the king's victory, that God's victory over everything, is not a matter of human strength, but of God's passionate power and his love for his people. We read in in Isaiah that he proclaims that the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this as he's talking about the Messiah that is to come. Isaiah says it's the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Not that people will do this, not that a group of people will do this, not that a family will do this, not that some really nice people from a tribe will do this. Simply, God will do this. The Lord of the hosts will do this. Jesus' conception is the work of God and God alone. And he's showing us that human beings cannot save themselves, but must be saved by him whose name means God saves. That's the work of God. As fully God, his obedience and suffering would satisfy God's wrath and secure our salvation now and forever. It is done. As Jesus claimed on the cross, it is finished. And he can do that because he was God. As fully God, he was able to bear the full weight of God's wrath against our sin and overcome death. He defeated death. And Jesus had to truly be God so that he could satisfy God's wrath and secure for us true righteousness of life. So that's a lot of stuff. Right? When we talk about the incarnation of God, we start talking about all that. And those are just some big words, but I'm going to summarize it for you in two sentences. I think we have them on the screen. Our, our Savior Jesus had to be fully human in order to suffer for us and sympathize with us. And then our Savior Jesus had to be fully divine. He had to be God in order to satisfy our payment, our penalty, and to secure our righteousness, to secure our salvation. Right, when you read in scripture, nothing can snatch you from the hand of God, that's not because of anything you did. That's because he is God, and he put you there, and nobody's going to take you away. You can do that when you're sovereign. Jesus, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, being fully man and fully God, is the only one who can truly save you. He is the only one who can save you. And on Christmas, we celebrate our Savior being born. Right? We should leap with joy and proclaim his name, knowing that Jesus, and Jesus alone, is the only person who can save us. That is a promise from Scripture. Right? Jesus is the Son of God. He came to save, and he can save. Those are two great promises that we should hold on to. Those are two great promises that should bring you joy during the Christmas season as we reflect on the birth of Jesus. But the third and final promise I want to look at this morning is that we can have joy when we have faith that Jesus continues to save. Right? Jesus is still alive, Jesus is still king, and he is still saving people. Gabriel concludes his announcements with this. 
He said, then the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. For all of eternity, Jesus will sit on the throne as king and rule over everything. And this is a fulfillment of the Davanic covenant. This, and to, to help understand this, we have to go back into the Old Testament. We have to go back to a, a promise that was made by God to King David. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God's talking with David and he promises David this. He says, and, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This is a covenant that God made with David. And at Christmas time, we see that this covenant culminates with Jesus as the Messiah. Right, when Gabriel told Mary that her child's kingdom would have no end, that promise could mean only one thing. That Mary was about to give birth to the Messiah. She was going to give birth to the Lord's anointed one. She was giving birth to the child, to the king that was prophesied so many years before. And this king, this Messiah would deliver his people from the bondage of sin and the strangled of death. He will defeat death once and he will continue to transform hearts. He will continue to rescue people, us and others, from their sins and the destruction of their sins and the destruction of evil. He will rescue them from sadness and pain and hopelessness. Right? He will bring joy and peace and hope and true life as he establishes his kingdom. Right, as he builds his kingdom. And Christmas is just a wonderful time to reflect on this promise of God and Jesus as the answer to all of our promises of salvation. And we can think back to this is the king that was born and this is the king that will reign forever. His kingdom did not end on the cross 33 years after the first Christmas. He is not dead on the cross and the whole kingdom is not crumbled. Jesus came and as he was pe- preaching, he was preaching, he was what, would he, what did he preach time and time again? Repent, right? Repent for the kingdom of God is near, right? Repent, turn, here it comes, it's coming. And guess what he has been doing ever since then? He has been growing his kingdom, right? The kingdom is getting bigger, the kingdom is getting stronger, right? The world loved to make you think that God is losing, right? Somehow they put all these news articles out there that there's no more Christians and the churches don't exist and this is just a waste of your time. And I remember there was one theologian, and he said, hey, churches aren't getting smaller. We just have more honest atheists. I thought, dang, right? Because Jesus promised that his kingdom was going to last forever. Jesus promised that his kingdom was going to be here forever. Jesus told David. Jesus told the angel. Jesus told Mary, or sorry, God told all of them that Jesus will reign forever and there will be no end to his kingdom. So I know you, you might not believe me when I tell you the news is wrong. Right, the news is saying something that believe it or not is not true. That believe it or not is more opinion than facts based. Right, Jesus' kingdom is here. Jesus' kingdom is getting stronger and stronger and stronger and he is building his kingdom that will reign forever. And while we may take our eyes off the cross, while we may take our eyes off Jesus, and we start sinking in doubt, just like Peter in the water when he took his eyes off Jesus. Man, we hold fast to the truth that Jesus' kingdom lasts forever. (laughs) There is a joy that will lift us right out of that water. 
when we trust in the promise that our king is victorious and sits on his throne. Man, he's not threatened by the things going on in our world. He's not threatened by what this person said or what this person said. He's not shaking in his boots that somebody's going to take over or ruin his kingdom. He is sovereign over all, and scripture promises that his kingdom will last forever. We have nothing, uh, nothing to worry about. And there's some of us that as we look around, as we see what's going on, as we maybe see something in our families or in our communities, we definitely see it in our country and in our world, we just pray for God. Make it all in, right? Just wipe it out, bring your kingdom, put it right here, and let's get down to real partying, right? Let's make this the time when we are singing glory, glory, glory. We are just worshiping. All this other stuff is gone. But remember, he's not done. Right? Remember, he is still saving people today. There are still millions of people that need to be saved, and God is still working. He's still building his kingdom. He's still saving others from death. And while we are anxious for our own personal reasons to just be sitting there saying, glory, 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 God is like loving his people, loving his creation. And Peter tells us that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. Right? And that promise that we're talking about is that kingdom that will last forever coming here. The Lord is not slow to fulfill that promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Right? It's God building his kingdom. It's God working that forever kingdom that we are just going to wait just a little bit longer. Right? We got a few more, I don't know, months, years, decades, I don't know, that we can just gather here and worship together. Right? It'll be soon that we will be up there. Right? I, mean, I was talking to one pastor, and on his tombstone, he wanted to put, the only thing he wanted on his tombstone was, that was fast. <laughs> right? So I know sometimes it sounds painful. I know sometimes it's long, but his kingdom is going to reign forever, and we'll have all eternity. And so we could just start praying for that one more person that needs to be joined in our choir when we are worshiping. Our Lord is still saving lives. Yesterday I spoke with a lady, and her face was just filled with joy as she shared a recent opportunity she had to share Christ with a family member. This was a family member who for over 50 years she had tried to share Jesus with and was not interested. And as I was talking to her, I said, hey, how did it go? Because it's kind of weird when she's like smiling while she's telling me this. I shared Jesus with a guy, he doesn't listen, and it breaks my heart. But she's smiling, I said, well, what happened? And she said, this time was different. This time, he responded totally different to this time. There's something different. God is doing something in his heart. Our king is still working in the hearts of people today. Our Lord is still saving lives of people from like eternity without him. I'm not talking about 10 or 20 or 30 years. I'm talking about all of eternity and God loves them and is saving them. Just a couple weeks ago, we baptized Mike. And all of us were out here, and we all cheered, and we were filled with joy, like a real joy. As you said, man, that's one more brother singing glory, glory, glory. That's one more brother reflecting the glory of God. And our king is still saving people today. As we start to look around, we, we can have joy knowing that our king is still working, that he's still working, that he's still saving people today. Who in your life would it bring so much joy to you if they came to trust in the promises of Christmas this year? If they came to know Jesus as their Savior? And maybe it's a spouse. 
Maybe it's a family member, a child, or maybe it's a coworker. Man, do you believe that Jesus is still saving people today? Do you believe that Jesus is still alive and well, that he is working? Are you praying for them? Do you talk to your king? Do you talk to the victorious king about them and beg him and plead for him? Do you trust that your Lord and your Savior is continuing to save people today? Man, would your prayer life suggest that you believe our Lord is still working today? And Jesus is alive and well. He's sitting on his throne and he's continuing to save people today. All of those people that you would pray for, but you're not sure Jesus will or can save them. You just need to trust his promise. Right, you need to trust the promise of Jesus that he came to save people, even them. Like there's some of you are thinking that he's not going to save. Yes, even them. Jesus came to save. <laughs> when I was a, well, let's just say this, a person from my younger life, right, a person from when I was a child, came into contact with Melissa. And then she found out that Melissa was my wife and that I was in seminary and her response to Melissa was, we were praying that he would come to know Jesus. Right? Like Jesus came to save people. He saved you. Right? He can save them. Right? Jesus came to save sinners and by his suffering he satisfied, satisfied God's wrath and secured our salvation Man, and if you believe that, and if you believe Jesus is alive, and you believe that Jesus is continuing to save others today, and it's those promises, it's believing those promises that make this a joyous time of the year. It's not all the window dressing, it's not all the cookies help, but it's not all the cookies, right? Fudge helps, but it's not the fudge, it's not the parties. Man, it's the promises of Jesus. It's the promises of Christmas, knowing that Jesus came to save. But not only did he come to save, he can save. And then there's joys. I think of people in my life that I love knowing that Jesus continues to save. And there is still hope that one day people that I love will be with me as we praise God together. As we sing with the heavenly, bomb, uh, the heavenly bodies, with the angels. And it's your faith in Jesus. It's these promises that fill you with joy at Christmas. And if you have never experienced the joy that comes with knowing Jesus, right, with knowing the reason for the season, it's not the lights, it's not the parties. Man, it's Jesus. It is knowing Jesus. It is having faith in Jesus. It is putting your faith in Jesus. It is saying, without a doubt, I know that Jesus came to save, and I know that Jesus can save, and I know that Jesus continues to save. And if that's you, he is continuing to save, and you can come to know him. He could just save you. It's that easy. I don't know how he does it. But he does it, and it's really easy, and I would love for you to experience that joy. I'd love for you to put your life in Jesus if you have never, ever done that. Man, there's not some secret prayer. There's not something you say in your season. There's not some secret dance or something you do. You just put your life in Jesus, man. I'd love to talk with you. If you have any questions about what that looks like, I would love to talk with you. If you're an introvert like some of us, that's cool. There's some deacons maybe sitting around by your seat. There's somebody just turn to them and say, I have a question. If you don't want to do that, just take out a connection card and put a box in there. I'll call you. We'll have a talk over the phone. We'll have a talk over Zoom. We'll have 
we'll have a talk over coffee. That makes everybody happy. Right? We will sit and we will talk, and I would love for you, man, to make this the best Christmas of your entire life. And this is my prayer for this church, for everybody, those that have known Jesus for 50 years and those that met Jesus today. Man, that you would be blessed this Christmas because you believe the promises spoken about the Messiah that was born on Christmas morning. Right? That you would be blessed, that your life would be filled with joy, right? happiness, and well-being. Not because of anything that you did, not because of anything that you are, but because of the promises of God that Jesus came to save you. Right? That's, that's why, because Jesus came to save you. And it is my heart for all of you that you would experience that joy and you'd be reminded of that joy and you'd be returned to the joy of your salvation this Christmas. And as we head into Christmas this week, you just put all the other stuff aside and you just do it and you just be nice, but you'd be filled with joy because Jesus loves you and came to save you, period. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful uh, for your son Jesus. I'm so grateful for Christmas that we celebrate this time that you sent your son to come to earth to show us the way, to demonstrate this way, to suffer for us. Lord, I'm so grateful that because of the work that he did, that we can be saved, that we can know you. I'm so grateful that his work satisfied your wrath. I'm so grateful that he can now secure our salvation in you. Lord, as we go and as we open up gifts, as we go and spend time with people, may we never forget the joy that comes with knowing you. That nothing else compares to knowing you. Lord, I pray that there's hearts that you would reach out and you would grab hearts and you would draw them to you and that they would experience joy maybe for the first time in their lives. But I am so grateful that you love us enough to do that and that you love us enough to continue to do that, to build your kingdom, to show your glory to the world. I pray this Christmas our faith in you grows and grows and grows and grows. Lord, we love you. We thank you in the precious name of Jesus that we ask all of these things. Amen. As we close.